This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 94 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Equisketch, Kentucky Performance Products, and Equestrian Collections. Chris Stafford, and on the show this week, we celebrate another great partnership, Hilda Gurney and Keen, and we hear from one of Hilda's students, Tracy Young, on how mentors influence a rider's career. But before we get to that, I have a very special message for you. This is Courtney Dye, and I'm looking forward to being on the Dressage Radio Show next month. I know you have all been following me all along, so I wanted to tell you everything that's going on with me because you've been so supportive. I'm unstoppable, feeling a hundred kinds of wonderful. I'm at the front and running super strong. Well, Courtney is absolutely unstoppable and we look forward to having her on the show here next month. But this week we welcome a brand new name to the Dressage Radio Show. Silver Martin, who's making her debut on the show as my co-host. Silver, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. And we should start off by by putting putting this in context, Silver, that we often have your husband Boyd as my co-host on the eventing radio show, so I thought it was time we balanced things out in the family. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure Boyd's uh, comments and and tips are very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how he is. He certainly is, and we love to have him there on the eventing radio show. But I know that you are a great influence. Uh, on him uh, with, of course, his dressage for eventing. And, uh, you know, I thought it would be fun to to talk to you about what you do in your career as as a dressage rider, that you you have your own students, you have your own competition, you help uh, dressage riders, and you also help eventing riders with their dressage. Yes, Um, I do. Um, I, you know, I have a a lot of students, um, lots of, upper-level event riders and, and lower-level event riders and, and same in dressage. So um, I, I love what I do, and I, I enjoy both sides of it very much. Um, I, I think that, you know, the dressage is a little bit different in eventing than it is in in our world, but um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I love doing it. Well, we should um, start this week by talking about the horses that you have, because I know you're down there in Florida. You competed at the Palm Beach Derby this past weekend mm-hmm. in, in Wellington, and we're going to talk about the results in a moment. But let's just talk about the horses that you have in work, in competition now, and who you're showing down there in Florida, Silver. Um, I have a, I'm, I'm very excited that I have a, the, the group of horses that I have at the moment, I think is probably the best group that I ever had. Um, there's... There's a lot of younger horses that are, um, you know, between five years old and, um, you know, nine years old, and um, they're very quality horses. I have a, um, a Grand Prix horse called Jeff the Chef who, who's come back from an injury, so I haven't shown him in Florida um, yet. Um, so, you know, he's just coming back. And then I have a, um, a new horse called um, Estee, um, who is a, a Dutch horse, a six-year-old, um, 
and he's you know he's going he's did a few six year old classes and has done at third level and has been very successful for me so i'm I'm excited to bring him on um then I also have a, a six year old mare that Boyd and I bred um called rosa cha um and she she's a, a german bred horse um very exciting horse and and she's doing the same as a seat um third level and six year old classes um and then I have another um German horse uh, called Duvant, a seven-year-old, um, and he's doing third level and is, you know, going to move up to fourth level and and kind of um, get going from there. So I'm excited about these these guys. Well, yes, yeah, you mentioned first of all your Grand Prix horse Jeff the Chef, of course. He uh, he's an Australian horse and he's bred, I believe, by Heath Ryan, of course, the popular event rider down there. So an, an interesting switch there, Dutch Dutch warm blood. And we should mention mm-hmm. that he he's a big boy, isn't he? He's like eighteen hands. But then, yeah. But you're you're quite tall too. How how tall are you, Silva? Um, I'm eight and a half. I'm actually not as tall as people think I am. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. You know, I'm tall, and he is huge. So. <laughs> <laughs> a good, a good fit. But that's in. Tell us the background to him. That he came from Heath Ryan, and uh, he's he's what? How old now? Ten year old? No, he's uh, he's he's not quite nine yet. He's okay. still very young. He um, it's another uh, funny Boyd Martin story actually. <laughs> he um, Heath Heath Ryan has has an auction um in Australia every year called um auction of the star yeah auction of the stars, and and that's where he sells his um homebred um horses and you know he has a very successful breeding program, and he has bred Jeff the Chef um out of a Dutch mare by one of his stallions called Jive Magic, uh, which is a jazz horse. Um, and so Boyd was working for Heath at the time, and um, so the auction is going on, and this, this is the first auction, and people were a little bit shy, and um, Boyd's dad was also there um, spectating. And anyway, Boyd and his dad, Boyd got a little bit drunk and were trying to help Heath out to get the price up on his foals, um, and Jeff was only a weanling, um, and so they were not knowing, bidding against each other from different corners of the arena, and um, <laughs> ended up <laughs> ended up ended up buying this uh, warm blood horse that they didn't know what to do with. <laughs> so that's uh, that's how that's how I got him. Well, what a what a stroke of luck! Then you just never yes. know, do you? Yes, you never know. That's amazing. Where did he get his name from, though, Jeff the Chef? Um, again, it's a Boyd Martin name. Jeff the Chef is a, a DJ, I believe, in Australia, who I have never heard of, but I guess Boyd, <laughs> Boyd liked him. And uh, he, you know, he suggested the name, and I said, you know, I don't really mind. I don't care what you call him because I don't really, I didn't like him at the time that much, and uh, I thought we we're just going to sell him. So that's how he ended up with the name. And apparently, it's that luck to change the horse's name. So I'm stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you just call him Jeff in the barn? Yeah, we call him Jeffrey. Jeffrey. <laughs> well, as I said, you're down there in Florida and you were competing this weekend. Tell us how that went, what you were riding. Um, I, I it went really well. I rode um a seat um in uh third in two third levels, which he both won um with good scores in the seventies. Um so that was very exciting. He also did the six year old Markel qualifier um on Sunday. Um, and he finished second on the seventy-seven percent. So I was very thrilled with him. He was—he was such a good boy. Um, 
then Rosa Char did her first third level and she was third um, on Friday and she was in the six-year-old class on Sunday and she finished fourth. Um, so she, you know, she's a little bit behind the seat, but she's, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with her. Um, and then I had Duvand, um, the German horse, uh, also in the third level, and he's a little bit of a hot horse. Um, he, he still struggles with the atmosphere and flags, and it was very windy. And um, anyway, he kept it together, and he, he finished second and third as well. So I had some had some really nice results. That's terrific. Well, we love it when our co-hosts do well here on the shows, you know, and it, that leads me nicely into the other results there at White Fences where Heather Blitz, another co-host on the show here, she stole the show in the small tour. She won again with Paragon in the Prix Saint-Georges with 76.053 and Heather also won the Intermediate one with 76.754 and she beat uh, Shauna Harding, who was on the show recently in the Prix Saint-Georges. She came in second and Linda Aliku came third and Shauna was third in the Intermediate, where Tom Noon came in second. So very, very good competition for Heather and Paragon. Paragon now is five for five. He's won every outing so far this year. So a very exciting small tour there. Then in the in the large tour, the Grand Prix for special that went to, well, everything went Tina Willemson's way. I don't know if you do you know Tina at all, Silver? No, I have I've not met her. I've watched her ride and I think it's very beautiful. It certainly is impressive uh, what she did. She had two horses there: Don Oriello, who she won, who, with whom she won the Grand Prix for special, and also in the Grand Prix special she won again uh, with him. So very, very convincing what weekend for her. And also in the Grand Prix Cur, she won uh, with favorite and was also uh, the winner of the Grand Prix Cur to Music for the World Cup qualifier. That is with favorite. So. A real dominating uh, weekend for Tina Willemson and for Heather Blitz down there. And you didn't have the best weather, I believe. You had some rain down there too, didn't you, Silva? We we did. Actually, it wasn't too bad. Um, it, it looked like it was going to really rain. Um, we had some rain on Thursday. Um, and then we had a lot of wind, which actually is made, I find that worse than rain, really. Um, you know, the horses are very nervous because, they, you know, they have the flags up and it's a beautiful facility. They're really doing a beautiful job at, at making it nice for spectators. Um, but the horses, I, my horses anyway, were very kind of nervous about the wind. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the, it, it, I hate the wind, and I still, even if I'm on on, the, on my feet, I don't like the wind, and I think it's yes. because of horses, you know. Because I they know, don't like I know, it. it's very, uh, very. I I much rather be wet than in the wind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but a very popular competition, good crowds down there, and of course a big a big week and big couple of weeks because we have, of course, the World Dressage Masters next weekend. Uh, in in Florida, will you be going along to watch that? Or are you riding at all that weekend, Silver? No, no. Unfortunately, I won't be there. I'm, I'm, I would love to love to be there and watch it. Um, it's always a lot of fun and and uh, you know gr- great riders and great for spectators. So I'm I'm sorry I'm going to miss it. Well, before we get to our first guest this week, Silver, I just want to remind our listeners about our friends over at Equestrian Collections. And, uh, of course, it's that time of the year when you start to dig out your show clothing and equipment for the spring season, only to probably find that it's beyond repair. So there's an easy solution to that problem with a visit to equestriancollections.com. They have the latest in spring and show clothing for you, your spouse, and your kids at prices you can afford. Not only do they have a great selection, great prices, and a state-of-the-art website, 
That is what you get for looking at equestrian connections, first of all, for your show and spring showing needs this spring. So visit them at equestriancollections.com. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Silver, our first guest is Tracy Young, who is a student of Hilda Gurney. And, and Hilda has, of course, so many students over the years. She's one of those larger-than-life figures who's had an enormous influence on the sport. And I know you do a lot of teaching. Do you have someone who's been a mentor to you over the years, Silver? Um, I do. Um, I, I uh, you know, like, uh, as you know, I, I grew up in Germany and uh, I did my Baradis exam in Germany. So I had some great mentors. Um, I, I worked for Roberta Schmidt for um, a year and then I um, I worked for Rudolf Zeilinger for um, three and a half years. So um, these guys are, you know, I've, I've learned so much of them and it's, um, you know, it's, it's always great to have um, you know, a mentor, and, and I still now um, hear their voices when I'm writing every day uh, in my head. So, um, yeah, I do. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Well, I put that question to Tracy when I spoke to her earlier about the importance of a mentor in your writing career. Well, Tracy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Nice to have you on the show. I believe you are safe to say you're a regular listener of the program, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I love the show because you're you're first and foremost a dressage person. Yeah, yeah. I used to be a eventer and a um, show jumper when I was young, but for the last um, twenty or more years, I've just done dress dressage only. All right. Well, we wanted to talk to you today because, um, as I mentioned, we do have Hilda Gurney on the show as part of our great partnership series. Uh, talking about Keen a little bit later on. But I know that you, you're an expat. You came over from England. You're trained through the British Horse Society system, but you've spent a long time with Hilda in training. And I, so I want to get your perspective on how mentors such as Hillary, uh, Hilda <laughs> influence a rider's career. It, t- talk a little bit about how you found Hilda and, and what your relationship is with her, how often you see her. Um, yeah, well, I... Um was uh, when I was first training um, horses in the States, I um, was working at a ranch and um, got a client who was breeding um, a lot of stallions. And uh, she used to ride with Hilda a lot as a young rider. And she actually rode um, through the Grand Prix level and um, rode in the World Cup for Ireland. Her name's Melissa Mika Harnett. And she um, wanted me to bring one of her young stallions for a lesson with Hilda to get him ready for the California Dressage Society annual show. So I used to trailer him in um, really early in the mornings because she she, the owner was a lawyer and she wanted me to ride so that she could see the lessons. And so that's pretty much started the whole relationship and uh, probably been going every week to Hilda's for at least the last 18 years. Um, right now I train for a Morgan horse breeder and we trailer in anywhere from two to four lessons a week. So, yeah, it's, it's um, just really invaluable having somebody on the ground always to help you. And um, has helped a lot of people, and she's uh, always been so generous with her time and um, always tries to encourage her students to participate in the judges' programs and in breeding. And quite often she's given many of her young horses and foals to uh, her loyal students. So, yeah, she's very generous. That's wonderful. But, you know, as you said, the important part 
uh, is that regular contact with the trainer and the the influence of that trainer, the relationship you have with your trainer, and your choice of the correct choice of trainer, the the right person for you. And we've talked about this on the show a few times, of course, in the past. But um, let's talk a little bit about the the mentor role that that Hilda would have on you, because she has so many students, Tracy. And she is such a terrific influence. How do you feel that her mentorship, you know, just, I mean, engages the students in the philosophy that she, that she teaches? Not just, you know, how, you, how you're performing with your horse and your actual riding, but the entire philosophy. How, how does that fit with you? How would you characterize that? Um, I'm, I'm a little confused with your question, but... Um, uh, Hilda, to me, she's very. Um, she's got, I mean, a work ethic that is unbeatable. I mean, you just do not see her stop. She'll go to a horse show and ride all day, and then she'll be back home in the afternoon and teaching until people stop signing up for lessons. So, um, and she, and because she's always been very self-made, you know, she's never had a lot of money. She just works and works to get, you know, you know, her horses, and she breeds her horses. So. As far as, uh, you know, it gives people hope if you don't have a lot of money, but you have the the will to work really hard and to, to bring the best out of your horse regardless of how talented it is. And she's um, a really good influence because she's ridden pretty much every kind of horse and had really good results, you know, and obviously started a really um, good breeding program to try to get better horses and somebody like myself who has to, the only way I'm going to get a really super horse, unless somebody came along and offered me one, um, would be to breed it myself, you know, and train it myself. So um, that's just very inspiring, I think. And uh, she's, you know, being a judge, a breeder, and a trainer, and a rider, and a show competitor, um, you know, she knows exactly what you go through as a rider. It's not just a judge that hasn't ridden for 20 years <clears throat> judging you. You know, you're actually got somebody that's riding four-year-olds and breeding babies and riding Grand Prix horses. So it's uh, very, you know, it covers the whole spectrum of the sport. So um, I think that's very uh, helpful to have somebody that can do all of that to train you. Well, I think you've answered my question, Tracy. You know, it, 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 it is way beyond the... It is way beyond the arena is what I was getting at. You know, it is the... The complete package of, of 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 the philosophy of being a good horsewoman or horseman, that it it extends well beyond the time in the tack. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, go ahead. Oh yeah, I mean, I I ended up purchasing a brood mare and um, breeding to Hilda Stallion, uh, Leonidas a couple of times, and I have just really some really nice mares from the breedings and uh, a colt. Um, from a, a different stallion, uh, Winter Prince. And, um, yeah, I probably wouldn't, I don't know if I would have bred horses if it wouldn't, wasn't for Hilda, and I, I wouldn't have probably gotten into the, uh, you know, small art judging program. Um, I'm a candidate now. Um, she, you know, I never really thought about judging too much, and um, it's just been very, you know, very helpful to keep pursuing your education because I think sometimes you can just get stuck you know, in your ranch training horses and it's, you know, it's such a huge job anyway, being a good horseman, um, 
that, that it's hard to think outside the box sometimes. So if you see somebody that's saying, oh, you should do this, you should do that, and it's, you know, it sort of helps you to to broaden your horizons, you know. Well, absolutely, you know, and, and I think this comes back to that mentoring role. It is broadening the horizons. It is looking for new opportunities, and it's extending your career and your talents and your skills as an individual. And, and clearly, Hilda does all that and more and has been such an inspiration and continues to be with so many students that are going through the program as, as you have had, Tracy. Yeah, yeah. And the thing, um, it, it's nice to go and have go to clinics here and there. And, and, you know, obviously, if you're a good student, you read as much as you can get your hands on and you try to educate yourself because you cannot learn everything from one person. Um, but you, uh, it's good to have that one solid foundation, um, you know, somebody that follows the training scale and um, sees you on a consistent basis and, you know, doesn't mince their words, lets you know exactly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> truthfully what's going on and doesn't just tell you good, good, good when you're writing. And, uh, you know, and then you, you, you do, you know, other stuff. Like I, I like to do yoga, uh, you know, other things to strength, strengthen your writing. Um, you know, you can't um, say, well, I train with this person and uh, that's, you know, I'm not doing very well. So, you know, you have to, you know, you have to do your own work too. You can't just take your lessons and expect that's enough. You know, you have to keep educating yourself and, and uh, learning. But it definitely does help to have that consistent person that knows you and knows your horses and is willing to work with other horses. The horses I have right now are very... Um, sweet Morgan mares and a paint mare who, you know, a lot of breeders and I've come across, you know, judges who breed warm buds, they just don't understand why somebody would put so much time and effort into a, an off breed. Um, but, you know, they can have success. You know, obviously your work's a little harder and conservationally it's harder for them. But, um, you know, it, it's nice to have a trainer and a judge that, that does... Um, understand you know why some people have a passion about a different breed of horse and and help them to get as far as they can um in their training so well i'm sure that some of that has rubbed off on you and you're probably just as much an inspiration and mentor to the people that work with you too tracy Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, as you say, there's nothing like having a good mentor to influence your career, and Hilda has certainly been that, and I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts and uh, and that relationship with us here, uh, Tracy, and wish you the very best of luck with your Morgans, with your uh, little American paint mare there as well, and anything that you might ride, because uh, it really doesn't matter what you ride. It's, uh, it's the fun we have doing it, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Thank you, Chris. Of course, we were going to be talking to Hilda, her mentor, a little bit later on um, in our series of great partnerships. But before we get to that, I want to remind you of our new sponsors, Equisketch here. They're a great new company dedicated to providing the best mobile apps for every rider. Each app has been designed to be used by riders of all ages and all levels of experience. With Equisketch Dressage, you can replace your dressage paper or dry erase boards and begin learning all your dressage tests on your iPhone or iPad. The EquiSketch board allows you to study in a flashcard style by hiding the step instructions while visualizing your location in the arena. Every test can also be viewed in a written format and later shared with your dressage students or fellow riders. EquiSketch Records allows you to manage all your horses and shows on the go. 
Track every medication, vet visit, dental exam, farrier work and more, complete with built-in reminders. Equisketch has some of the best-selling equestrian apps on the iTunes App Store, which have already been purchased in over 35 countries. They're available for the iPhone, iPad and iPod Touch. Visit equisketch.com hrn for more information or search Equisketch in iTunes. Equisketch, dedicated to making your equestrian life mobile, one app at a time. Well, I have to ask you, if you are you an iPhone, iPad type person? Are you into apps, Silver? I am. I, I am. I, I love the iPhone. And, uh, I, you know, it, it, Boyd is not really into this kind of stuff un, until I make him. And then he, so <laughs> now we're both kind of addicted to it. <laughs> yeah. And do you have you come across these apps for the EquiSketch app that you can use for your tests? Yes, I think it's that is it's amazing and it's so helpful. Um, you know, now even like we were laughing on the weekend because I, you know, I usually have like my girls bring my test out to the ring. Now they bring my iPhone and I have it on my, <laughs> you know, I have the app and and if I, you know, because I ride so many horses, um, if I, if I kind of forget my test before I go in, they just hand me my iPhone and I just use the app. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That and you don't have to worry about paper piece of paper getting wet or flushing around in the breeze. Oh, it's great. It's great. And you don't, you know, you always have your phone on you, so you don't, um, you know, you don't forget your test book at home. Uh, so it's been helpful for me. I know. It's, it's it's wonderful. I love these new toys. But are you into iPads as well, or do you just have the iPhone? Uh, I don't have an iPad, but I gave Boyd an iPad for his birthday, and he is addicted to it. It's it's not very good for our, for our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I have to tease him about that. And yes. <laughs> because, you know, here on the Dressage Radio Show, what we've found, we found one thing we have really found out about Dressage Rider Silver, and you can appreciate this, is that they love fast cars and they love the apps. Like the uh, there's one that seems to be popular with Heather Blitz and, and uh, Debbie McDonald and Catherine Haddad, all these riders. They love um, Angry Birds. On the iPad um, and iPhone, so they're really addicted to those. So it must be something about being a dressage rider that that you know that that there's an affection for fast cars and technology. Yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to hear now from our guest this week, Hilda Gurney, who. Those of you who follow the sport of dressage will know she had the most amazing partnership with her horse, Keen, over the years. And it's a fabulous story. Here's her account of, of memories of her famous partner, Keen. Well, Hilda, welcome back to the show. And this time we're going to talk about one of your favorite horses, the great partnership, truly great partnership that you had with Keen. Let's go back to the start, Hilda, and how you actually found him. Well... It sort of went before then. I had um, been eventing, and I had a super event horse called Flagself, and he won both the intermediate and the advanced for the country. But when I won the advanced in the Walter Cup, that was the year Charlie Plum fell and became a quadriplegic. And I go there for the grace of God goes I, you know. And uh, I thought, I think I'll stop eventing. And so I decided to go more into dressage, and Flag at that time was 15 and getting old. And wasn't, he was a thoroughbred, also he wasn't a dressage mover. So I decided to, to look at dressage more, and I went down to the Olympics in Mexico City in 68, a long time ago, 
And I watched the kind of horses that were used there. At that time in California, we mainly had thoroughbreds and radians used in dressage. There weren't any warm bloods, really. And so I just I saw what was being used, and um, the warm bloods. Harry Bolt was riding. Uh, Neckerman was riding. The Russians had Papel there. Igor ended up winning the gold medal uh, with a Russian rider. But I then went horse shopping, and, and basically horse shopping at that time in my life meant hitting all the thoroughbred farms. And we had a lot around Los Angeles, and still do. And going out early in the morning and hitting thoroughbred farms. And at a thoroughbred farm, it was a uh, Gorman thoroughbred farm in Riverside. Um, they had this big, big chestnut in the pasture with the broodmares, and they had tried to st- train him over at Santa Anita, but uh, he wouldn't fit in the starting gate. So they just had him in with the broodmares and a few cows. And we tried him right there in the pasture, this huge, giant uh, chestnut. And my girlfriend got on him first. We just threw a saddle on him right there in the broodmare pasture, and he bucked her right off. <laughs> But she hadn't walked him after she led him. You know, you tightened the girth. He hadn't been ridden for a while, and, of course, never with a real saddle. And so I got on him then, walked him a little before I leave the board or had a leg up. There's no way you're getting on him from the ground. He's so big. And he was already almost 18 hands. Um, A little big for a thoroughbred. And I rode him around, and he reminded me very, very much of the warm bloods. And so... I bought him. It took a couple months to buy him because he didn't give a price. And I finally got him for $1,000 and $50 tax. So, and I brought him home. It was Thanksgiving Day, and um, it was in 69. Well, as you and said, you know, a thoroughbred in those, I mean, today, if if we were to say we had a thoroughbred that could go, you know, to Grand Prix and represent the team, we may get a few sort of strange looks in today's market, but he proved that he could do anything and more that, that a warmblood could do, especially then. Well, even now, I'm not sure he was straight thoroughbred. I have his jockey club papers. I still have his jockey club papers. But, you know, that was before DNA. And, if you one, they were turning a lot of Hanoverians out in Texas. I know his, uh, father's, his father was a money broker. And I know this father's sire had to be pure thoroughbred. But, you know, when you look at Appaloosas, they have white sclera around their eyes. Keen had that. They had mottled skin. Keen had that. They have striped hooves. Keen had that. Also, his feet were about as big as a lampshade. <laughs> uh, so were his joints. And he was almost 18 hands. And um, he was very heavy bones. Leggy, but heavy bones. And in his winter coat, he had splotches huh. of white hair spread out throughout his body. So my guess is he probably got some of the Hanoverian or Draft Cross Appaloosa blood in him on his damn side somewhere. That would be my guess. I really doubt he didn't look like one. He didn't move like one. He didn't act like one, except he was hot, really, really hot. When he got excited, he wanted to massage and throw his legs <laughs> around. He didn't want to run when he got excited. Well, it leads me into the next question, of course. What was he actually like to train in those early days? Because you were an amateur at the time, weren't you, Hilda? And, and well, come out but of I, educa- don't I was an advanced event rider, mm-hmm. and I also made my living through college training horses. So I pretty much rode and handled anything. Oh, he was hell on wheels. 
Except almost <laughs> two people to lead him. I got in a lot of trouble when I first got him home because he only trot. I never forget one day I just couldn't trot. The more I asked for trot, the more his legs went up near. He was putting his front hooves <laughs> over his ears, and he's eighteen hands. Galloping was not his thing. Going up in the air with his legs was. He wasn't mean. He didn't buck or rear or any of that. He just got excited and then threw his legs every which way and a lot of bounce. And so I had hell on wheels to get him to trot because all he wanted to do was facade. So it was a very interesting horse to train. And, of course, at that time, I had no real arena or facility. I just, you know, we rode lots on the trails. And then our neighbors had a dressage arena that was on a lot from a housing development. I hadn't. It, it, you know, it's not like we had a fenced-in area or anything like that. So it was, you know, challenging. But he wasn't mean. And, of course, I was the bravest end rider at that point in my life. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he it was only not a problem putting Piazza Passage on him, that's for sure. No. Just getting him to walk, trot, and canter. And tell us about you, the, those early days of training with him. Didn't you get some help from Bent Lundqvist in the early days? Actually, the first person to help me... That was very early in dressage, and I, we had just founded the California Dressage Society, and I had just started the Los Angeles chapter of the California Dressage Society, and I'm one of the founding members of CBS. And um, and I was showing fourth level with my other two little thoroughbreds, as one called Flagself for my bent horse, and then did it. it was another one. He's actually my mom's horse, but I showed them both fourth level pre St. George. Um, but uh. I decided, I went east, I wanted to get help. Actually, just before I got keen, two weeks before I bought him, I went to the American Dressage Institute that Miggy Sorrell offered in Saratoga Springs. They gave me a scholarship. And there I met Rohovansky and Bent Youngquist. And uh, Rock took a liking to me, and... um, he started coming down to Los Angeles from, he lived in Holland at that time, and giving clinics. So I got him fairly regularly over here from Holland. And it, I remember it took me really hitting the telephone to find eight people in the L.A. area that were riding dressage that wanted to ride in a clinic. Wow. But we brought Rock over, oh, every few months, every two or three months. And he's the one that really helped me get the horse to Grand Prix. And then after I was Grand Prix, Bent Youngquist became our coach. And then he helped me from then on to really perfect the Grand Prix. But I really have to give uh, Rock the credit for teaching me how to get the horse there. And then Bent Youngquist, when he became coach, the, you know, the USCT brought him into clinics. And by then the sport was much, much bigger. And... Um, he really helped me fine-tune the horse and make him competitive at the international scene. Now, those early days, that was the early 70s, of course, when you had your first successes with him, and he went on to be the U.S. Dressage Federation's horse of the year what, five times? Yeah, I know he was national champion at Grand Prix six times. I don't know about the USDF awards, but um, at that time, USDF didn't separate Grand Prix. They just did an FEI award. It's not like it is now at all. He was FEI Horse of the Year, if I look at my old plaque. And it touted everything. But USEF, which is the American Horse Show Association at that time, had a national championship at Grand Prix, and he did win that six times. 
And then, of course, you made the team for the in, in the 1975 Pan American Games in Mexico. What, what was he like to compete at at that level? Was he as, as hot as he was at home? Yeah, and it was Grand Prix at that level. Mm-hmm. He did two Pan Am Games, but they were both at the Grand Prix level. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I'll never forget. Well, I was so excited because I got second behind um, Chris Lott Boylan from Canada on a horse called Young Hair. And, you know, and I went in. I only rode. I was a reserve rider. I only got in because Edith Masters' horse went lame. Otherwise, I wouldn't have ridden. So I went in as the weakest member of the team, and then he ended up winning the silver medal, and, and only a few points behind the gold. And we were high enough as a team to win the gold medal, and nobody expected us to win the gold medal. So that was just fantastic. But I'll never forget, I was coming out of the honors. Uh, he was pretty ha- much of a handful in any of the honor ceremony. And coming out of the awards, he, he liked these 30-foot leaps. If I wasn't careful coming out of the tree off, he'd leap 30 feet, literally leap 30 feet, oh. and land. And um, I, he leapt into a crowd. <gasps> and I could just see the headlines. American horse kills Mexicans, you know. Uh, unfortunately, everybody managed to scatter. But as I'm flying through the air on this powerful horse, having absolutely no control as he leaps because he was so excited, you know, I just could see the headlights. But anyway, he didn't hit anybody, thank God. They all moved fast enough. (laughs) Oh, my. I just imagine that scenario. But uh, what was he like in the stable, Hilda? What what kind of temperament did he he have a personality in the barn? Oh, he, he loved me. And he loved every little thing. The first thing, you know, we... Our, um, we had him at my house. So the first thing, if you fed him, he would dump all his feed and all the little rabbits and the birds and the squirrels and the mice would, he was always in a paddock with a shelter. We had a stable, but we only put them in it if it really rained. They stayed out with the paddock with the shelter most of the time. It's so moderate here in California. But anyway, the first thing he would dump his feed and so he'd always be eating his grain from the ground with all these animals which, of course, he would never hurt or scare off. He just the sweetest horse. Just a lovely horse, you know, gentle giant. Gentle giant, indeed. Well, he went on to gigantic things, of course, the Olympic Games in Bromont in 1976. Uh, and, and, and on and on and on. And then the Olympics in L.A. And then the Olympics in L.A. But, but, but he has this remarkable story, though, doesn't he, that, that laid him off and a, life, a sort of career-threatening story. Tell us in your own words how that happened, Hilda. And, um, you know. I don't know exactly what happened. Um, the, I, you know, with coaches, they ride the horses a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't really want to go into that too much. But he rode the horse really, really rough, kept pulling the head to the knee, his knee at the extended trot, the coach. And, um, and I won't name the coach. But that night, I was quite upset by it, but I didn't pull him off because it was a USDT clinic, and he's the coach, you know, mm-hmm. and who am I? And um, I didn't pull him off until that evening, and then that evening after the clinic, I said, I don't feel comfortable with this. I'd like him not to ride the horse again. And, but the next day, the horse couldn't move. He was paralyzed. Uh, the only thing I could do is hang a hay net. He couldn't walk at all. He'd fall down. 
And what he had done is he had bruised his spinal cord at the base of his neck from being yanked around. And it, he was laid up three and a half years. And I couldn't even take him to Davis uh, for months because he was, couldn't walk and couldn't get in a trailer and he couldn't balance himself. He was totally attacked. And I could only feed him from a hay net. When I finally could take him to Davis, it got even worse because they tried to do a spinal tap and he went down in the stocks and couldn't get up. Oh. So he got very badly injured in the stocks because he got caught under everything. He was too big anyway. And then I had to leave him up north because he couldn't be hauled home for months before he got well enough to even haul back to home. And then he was out to pasture for three years. And then finally he got better, and I started riding him again and took him in the L.A. Olympics. Well, that was an, an, an amazing interlude, and that you should come back. And he was well into his teens, wasn't he, when he came back to do the Olympics in he was 17. L.A.? 17. He was 17 when I started him back. He got injured at 13. So that that in itself was a, a miracle, and what a blessing, because it must have been absolutely devastating to uh, to have uh, had that happen to him. But to turn a, turn his career around as you did, and then to be able to go and play in your backyard, so to speak, in the Olympic Games again, that must have been a very special moment in your career, Hilda. Oh, I was, yeah, I was really proud of him. And tell us how he was then. I mean, had he had he mellowed during his layoff when he came back into the international arena? Was he was he any different to what he was when he stopped the first time? You know, he never was as strong, but he wasn't any mellower. He never did get mellow. I mean, he competed even at CBI's at the age of twenty-three with Kathleen Rain when he was a young rider, but he never did get mellow. But he did, you know, he was a nice sound horse, except for that incident. I really didn't have any soundness issues with him. He was always a nice sound horse. But uh, he was never mellow to ride. He was always, or to lead. He was always a lot of horse. But so, uh, not never mean-spirited, just he wanted to go and do and, you know. He's just a nice horse. Certainly a lot of horsepower there. And, of course, um, apart from um, all the many successes in the ring, he was ranked among, I believe, in the 1985, was it? He was one of the best of 20, top 20 horses in the world. Yeah, yeah. And he loved it. I mean, even it was really interesting. One of the very last shows I showed him in myself was he was 18, and uh, he did go to the North American Champions that year. He was second. Cindy Ichoy, but um, we did the finals, and they were down in San Diego, our regional finals, and the first day, I always ride them in the morning and show them in the afternoon, or whatever, I always ride them in the morning, even if I'm showing in the morning, I ride them in the morning earlier, and then put them back in the barn, and, and I ride them until he's relaxed, and then I put them in the barn, and I warm him up about an hour before my test. So I did that on Thursday, and he won his class. And I did that on Friday, and he won his class. And I did it on Saturday, and he won his class. Well, Sunday, I'm thinking, you know, here this horse is 18. I've already won three of the finals. Uh, I've ridden him twice every day. I'm just going to warm him up for the class. I went into the warm-up on Sunday. He was so full of himself, I had to scratch. Oh, gosh. There was no way, only an hour without riding him in the morning, I could get him ready for his class. That just shows you the energy level. Yes. And, I mean, you know, not full of himself going, not wanting, but full of himself to make him obedient enough to get through a test without him 
breaking gait or what he loved to do was massage with his front legs over his ears and instead of walking and things like that or leaping from the piaf. I mean, very exuberant stuff, but you didn't really want to do it in show ring. No, not really. Well, tell us about the, 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 the latter years of his life then and, and how that played out when you retired him from the from the ring. Well, he never was officially retired. I was offered a blank check in the 76 Olympics from the German Federation. And I did turn it down because I thought, you know, Dressage, one, I love the horse. He was my child. And two, I thought Dressage is in its infancy in America. The last thing I need to do with the first American-bred horse that makes it in Dressage, because I do think he was an inspiration for everybody, that you could get a horse for a reasonable amount of money and train it yourself and go to the Olympics. And I wasn't rich either. I was a school teacher. I mean, I did this basically with zero funds, except, you know, getting by. And now that's when the amateur rules were strict, and I could not even teach a riding lesson for money. So I had really no way to make money at all. In fact, <laughs> coming home from the Olympics in Bromont, I had only gas cards, and that was before you had credit cards. And I couldn't, I could only buy the food they offered at the gas stations that I could put on my gas card <laughs> because I had, no, I had run out of money. I totally had zero money in my wallet. And so I drove straight home from Des Moines. I gave an exhibition in Des Moines, Iowa, and then drove straight home. That's a long drive without stopping, except to let the horse out and walk. He never had trouble traveling. It never bothered him. And to live on on the food from gas stations, too. Yeah, lots of... (laughs) I got real tired of candy bars, but I made it home. Well, you know, you you as a partnership were in, enormously influential in the development of of the sport in this country. Oh, I think so. Yes. Yeah, he was he was fabulous, and I gave exhibitions almost every night when I traveled. I'd stay somewhere and stable at a barn or whatever, and and show them what dressage was because this is when dressage was just starting to be. Uh, and so I think it was really really good for developing the sport. And then in later years, I let. Um, my students ride him, and I let like Kathleen Rain showed him when he was 23, and he died later that year. He started having strokes, hmm. and one day one of my students was riding him, just in the ring, and he slowed down, and then slowly fell down. He got off, and rolled out of the arena. And our arena is a little bit raised, so he was on the road, and laying on the road, and. I went over, and I took the saddle off, and I took the bridle off. I couldn't see him breathe. And I thought, well, he's had a heart attack or a stroke. He had already had some little strokes. And he's going, he's dead. Well, here I thought he was dead. He gets up and trots away. Oh, gosh. And that terrified me, because if he had done that at night and gotten under a pipe Mm. in the paddock, then he could have spent the whole night. That had happened to one of my friend's horses that was older. So I called my vet, and I, we um, illegally buried him in the backyard, and we put him down eating carrots. I oh. fed him carrots, and she put him down, and he's in my backyard now. And what age was he? 23. It was August of his 23rd year. A marvelous partnership, and what an in- a wonderful friend you had for so many years, Hilda. Yeah, and, you know, the strokes are painless, so he really never suffered at all. But, boy, that day when he trotted off after looking like he was totally dead, I just thought, you know, this can't happen at night, and he gets where he suffers. 
because fortunately the strokes are pain, fairly painless. So anyway, that I well, decided that was a way to finish it. When you look and back on on your career with him, Hilda, was it very early on that you said, you know, I've got a I've got a very special partner here for uh, for my career and. Are there any particular competitions that you remember most fondly about him, or was it any time? Any time was 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 special, I guess, because he was such an extraordinary horse to to ride, even no much less to compete with. Well, you have to remember, it's much different than now. I was a school teacher, okay, so I didn't have money or money to come from. And the reason I have my farm now, which is called Keenridge, by the way is because I've been able to make a living from teaching riding, one, with the change in the amateur rules, and two, the fact that Keen gave me a reputation so I could make a living teaching riding. So um, I, everything I have now, because I have a nice house and have a nice farm that I own, and, and I have that because of Keen. So I owe him an incredible amount. But at that time, I was a school teacher with a little thoroughbred off the track. I was an event rider. Um, he did go in one event, which he won at training level, Ram Tap. But I had no aspirations or indication or feeling. I mean, I had enough ambition that twice I drove him to New York for the American Dressage Institute. And the second time I competed quite a bit in the East Coast, and he did win a lot. He won a lot of the Grand Prix um, that year. And... Um, so I realized that, you know, nationally we were competitive, but I certainly had no aspirations or even thoughts that we could go to the Olympics or anything. It just happened. Well, it's... You know, and in fact, the first, very first selection trial for the Pan Am Games in 75, I mean, all the Americans basically said, no American riders trained a horse to Grand Prix, no woman has trained a horse to Grand Prix, and no American Cerebrate's ever been a Grand Prix horse. <laughs> and so they sort of laughed at me. And they told me very clearly I would never make an Olympic team, and we weren't international, and there was no hope. What actually got us there was the fact that the Europeans liked him, and they had Europeans on the selection panels, and they, he ended up being alternate. And then when Edith Horse went lame, then he ended up on the team for the Pan Am Games. And then on, he did fine. But it was, I never thought, it was never in my plans as a feasible thing to happen. It just happened. It certainly happened, and you made a huge contribution to the sport with, with him. And, uh, of course, he was memorialized by the U.S. Dressage Federation when he was inducted into their Hall of Fame in 1997. And, you know, so fondly remembered in the sport, Hilda, that it really is remarkable what you achieved with him. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your memories of what is truly a great partnership. Well, thank you. I was just a very, very lucky lady to have such a special horse. Well, our thanks again to Hilda. You know, we, we all have those marvellous horses and rider combinations that we remember fondly. Who would you put in this great partnership series, Silver? Um, you, you know, I mean, I, being German, uh, I, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, Nicole Opoff and Rembrandt. I uh. think that was a, you know, a long time ago, but a, an amazing partnership. And I remember that I was little and I just thought, oh, my God, this, I want to do this. This is just wonderful. He was inspirational, wasn't he? I remember him. Da he used to sort of dance around. He was so light on his feet, wasn't he? 
Oh my God, he was just like he was like a ballerina. At the same time, you you could hear a needle drop because he could have, you know, he either was spectacular or he he couldn't, you know, he just couldn't deal with the pressure. Um, so it was un- unbelievable, I thought. Yeah, he was always just on the edge there, and I mean, an amazingly successful partnership that you know really was. Uh, you know, a medal-winning, one medal-winning performance after the other. I can't remember off the top of my head how many uh, um, Olympics and world championships. Oh, I can't, I don't either, but I, it was, I mean, it was an amazing number. And I, I think, you know, obviously Nicole Opa is an amazing rider and so is the horse, but I think the two together, uh, you know, with the whole whole thing, I don't know if either of them would have done what they've done if they weren't together. Yeah, that's interesting how you just it just takes that combination, the right combination to mm-hmm. make those special partnerships and uh, I think Nicole is still competing, still riding. I think she's remarried and uh Yes. Um yeah, do you, do you hear from her? Do you do you have contact regularly with those um, dressage riders in Germany, Silver? Um I do. I you know, my sister is a, is a, you know, still has a a business in Germany, so I kind of hear through her. Um I kind of you know, I've been away from Germany for a while, um, so I don't, you know, you, you kind of lose the contact. But, uh, yeah, I hear, I hear through her and, uh, yeah. Well, we will follow those, and I, I certainly would uh, love to get Nicole on to the, on the show to talk about uh, Rembrandt, so I'll, be, I'll work on that. And, of course, if any of you out there uh, have any ideas about great partnerships that you would like me to feature here on the Dressage Radio Show, you just have to send me an email. It's as simple as that. Chris at horseradionetwork.com. Well, before we get to your tip of the week, Silver, I want to remind our listeners that, about Kentucky Performance Products because when horsemen were asked what they were looking for in a nutritional supplement, the answer was easy. One that's affordable, effective, and scientifically proven. Kentucky Performance Products took that message to heart and developed supplements that meet those needs. All of their supplements, from Nalox Equine Antacid to Summer Games Electrolytes and Joint Armor, are formulated based on sound research. The important thing is that you can count on them to deliver results, and they're affordable. So to choose the right KPP supplement for your horse, visit kppusa.com or call 1-800-772-1988. And to learn more about horse nutrition and interact with the KPP experts, be sure to join their Facebook page. Well, we're coming to Silver's tip of the week. Your first time here on the show, and you already have a a really, really useful tip for us, Silver, and I, I think it applies whether you're doing pure dressage or eventing dressage, and that is recognizing your goals and limitations with each horse. Yes, um... Yeah, I you know my tip of the week is you know from I thought about it today when I was teaching um, that you it's important to have a goal and it's important to you know to work hard at, at your goal with your horse but at the same time it's very important to listen to your horse and and listen to when they're ready to move up to the next step so that is something that you know I always remind myself of and and of course it is you know for each and every horse it's important. Um, you know, to to keep, you know, to assess each horse and when what those uh, expectations are, and that the horse can realistic realistically meet the expectations, and and to, you know, get that advice from your trainer to, you know, when you recognise the goals, um, you know, what they what real what they are realistically. 
Yes, that's right. That's that's exactly right, Chris. I think I think you know, like I said, I think you need to listen to each horse. Um, you know, they usually tell you. Um, of course, you have to put pressure on them to to move up to the next level, but at the same time, sometimes it's important to take a step back and and let them think about it, and um, you know, also treat every horse individually and don't apply the same things to each, you know, to each and every horse. And what's important, I think, in that process, Silver, is that when you do get to a competition, no matter whether you're coming back for the second season or third season and you think you're ready to move up and maybe you get to a competition and it didn't go quite according to plan, it's important to say, okay, it didn't go according to plan and this is maybe why. And maybe I just have to go back down the level and and reaffirm him and, and reconfirm everything at that previous level and the confidence too. That's that's right. Um, you know, the confidence for the horse and also for the rider, you know, and sometimes even if it doesn't go as planned, which happens very often, you know, it's it's very important not to, to lose confidence and, um, you know, or lose your tempo. It's very important to just kind of sit back and think about really carefully what happened and why it happened. And, you know, sometimes you have to just kind of say, this is just, it was just a bad day and we're just going to move on and stay with our plan. And sometimes you just have to say, maybe this was a little bit too much and we just need to, need to step, step back one step and, and kind of, you know, start, start a little bit over again. Yes. And, and, you know, that all comes down to good horsemanship too, doesn't it, Silver? That you, you know, you know, it's, it's all about being a good horseman and recognizing that and accepting it and not, you know, and not being so proud to think, oh, well, gosh, you know. I've got to keep going because um, you don't have to keep going. You can uh, be a good horseman and make the right decision. That's right. That's right. And and also remember that all these people that are up there winning CDIs like, you know, Heather Blitz and people that are doing amazing at the moment, I'm sure they have gone through exactly the same thing over over and over and over again. You know, it, it doesn't come easy to anybody. No, it doesn't. Um, and it, But it's worth every minute you put in the tack and out of the tack. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a great tip. Thank you very much for that, Silver. I want to uh, just remind everybody before we go that uh, there are several ways that you can listen to the shows here on the Horse Radio Network, and this is one of them. Are you tuned in to the Hallway Feeds iPhone app? Hallway Feeds is the Horse Radio Network's exclusive iPhone app bringing you all eight shows wherever you are on the go, in the barn or driving to a show. It's another easy way to tune into your favorite program. Go to the App Store and download it today so you can listen anytime at Hallway Feeds. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week, Silver. I want to remind everybody you can follow our show notes, of course, at dressageradio.com or you can go to our fan page at Facebook. We love to hear your comments posted on there. I, I look at that every day to read your comments and see if you've got any suggestions for us. You can, of course, send your comments to me at chris at horseradionetwork.com and if you have any, any emails that you want me to forward to Silver, I'd be happy to do that. And don't forget you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me, Chris E. Stafford, and you can follow Horse Radio. Are you on Twitter yet, Silver? I know that you have your own website. We'll put a link to that, of course, at boydensilvermartin.com. But are you tweeting? I know you're also on Facebook. No, I'm not. 
I'm not. I I am not, and I'm. I have to tell you, I'm actually not really on Facebook either. I I do have a page, but I don't. I don't really ever do it that much. Well, now maybe that now that Boyd has the iPad, maybe I should tease him about keeping all these things. You know, get start. You tweet- should. You should. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm so pleased you were able to join us this week, Silver. And tell us before we go what you'll be doing next. Where's your next competition? Um, I am. I just have a little competition in Aiken, South Carolina, um, just with a few young horses um, next weekend. And then we're, I'm heading back north, um, and then I have to make a plan for you know, the show season up in Pennsylvania again. Yeah, the summer will be upon us. How many horses do you have in work and that you ride each day? Uh, I usually have between uh, 10 and 13 horses in work. Right. So, so yeah. You're, you're very busy then. I am. I love doing it, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. We're, pled- we're glad to hear that. Well, enjoy your riding, Silver. Come back and see us on the show, won't you? Yeah, I'd love to. This is uh, this is great, and I, I, I love listening to it, and I, I hear lots of lots of people love it. So thank you very much for, for doing this for, for all of us, Chris. Oh, you're welcome, Silver. It's been great to have you. Um, of course, uh, I'm I'm ba- I'll be back here, of course, same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me, and um, you know, good luck to everybody out there. And um, I, I really enjoyed being here.